0: Today, I have the honor of connecting with Dr. Anurag Singh, who is the chief medical officer at Timeline Nutrition that helps develop next generation, advanced nutritional and skincare products, targeting improvements in mitochondrial and cellular health. Dr. Singh's background is in internal medicine and immunology. He has authored greater than 40 articles for top science journals, been awarded greater than 15 patents, and has designed and led greater than 50 randomized controlled studies. Today, we dove deep into his background, key biological hallmarks of aging, our mitochondria, what accelerates aging, how we can proactively address this, the role of sarcopenia with aging and mitochondrial health, the impact of the gut microbiome, the role of urolithin A and supplementation, the differences between pre, pro and postbiotics, and lastly, the benefits of MitoPure and the research behind it. This is a supplement that I have taken over the last several years and I feel is been instrumental in helping to improve and maintain mass and strength of my muscles and there's emerging research specific to brain health and cognition, immune and metabolism and also topical applications of MitoPure. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. Dr. Singh, it's such a pleasure to connect with you. I've really been looking forward to this conversation.
1: Same here. Thanks for
0: having me. Yeah. And obviously I know quite a bit about your background and your work, but for the benefit of listeners, explaining to them how you started in internal medicine with this immunology research background, how did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So I started out pretty young in the internal medicine field. Um, Yeah. I was a young medical intern that, you know, I might early 20s even. And then uh, I was always fascinated by the field of medicine, but I always felt like medical doctors were taking sort of a very later approach to symptom management and not really kind of figuring out what they could intervene early on in the process of, you know, the disease of it when the first pillars of a disease symptomatology are forming. And that led me to kind of the U.S. where I trained uh, the probably one of the top immunologists at that time who really, you know, educated me in how to become a physician scientist. And I was also lucky to have a co-mentor who was trying to figure out how a, a compound from pineapples was a very potent anti-asthmatic compound. And that got me into the natural product space. And from there, I ended up doing a lot of research in gut microbiome that led the journey led to the discovery of this postbiotic we'll talk about.
0: It's really exciting. And I think for so many of us, you know, we might start in a more traditional role within the medicine community. And then as we, you know, become more seasoned or, you know, more vested in the research, we acknowledge there are limitations to the traditional allopathic paradigm as it pertains to prevention of disease. And so that's why I find your research in particular to be so interesting And I haven't really had an expert on speaking to kind of the changes that go on with aging, the hallmarks of aging. And so maybe we'll start the conversation there. There are some very well-documented biological hallmarks of aging that I think Mm -hmm. might be interesting to kind of from a 30,000-foot level, kind of providing some context for the conversation.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the whole field of aging today is segmented into two camps, one that is sort of more proponent towards lifespan extension and the other is more health span extension. And, and if you look over the last 10, 15 years, we certainly know the different biological pathways that you can modulate with nutritional interventions, with exercise, with dietary restriction, like intermittent fasting, and with nutrients such as, uh, you know, either NAD modulators or the postbiotic we've we'll talked about. And the way I see it is really, you know, before... Now, these were nine hallmarks of aging before it, all targeting very complex biological process. If you really look at what are those out of those pathways, ones that you can modulate to have a health impact, the one key one is mitochondrial health. And that, you know, just for your listeners, mitochondria are sort of like your Tesla batteries that are producing energy. And with aging, we all feel fatigued, et cetera. And so you can actually reverse some of that mitochondrial dysfunction and. And that's where we, we feel we, we are positioned very well.
0: Well, and I think it's so important for listeners to understand that some of this is under our own control, whether through lifestyle mediated factors, you know, meal frequency, nutrition, as you mentioned, exercise, supplementation, all can be very helpful for preserving, maintaining the health of the mitochondria, because most of Americans, because that's the research that I'm most familiarized with, but most Americans by the age of 40 have mitochondrial dysfunction. And it's really at the basis for most chronic disease states we see here in the United States, and I would imagine in most westernized countries.
1: Yeah. Y- you know, when we started out uh, studying the mitochondria in the context of aging, there was already literature out there that in your 70s and 80s, uh, the mitochondria were declining in organs that have a lot of abundance of mitochondria, which is the, your muscle, skeletal muscles, your cardiac muscle, or your brain. But then we started sort of even looking younger in the 40s and 50s, and we would find already the signature out there. And so you, you mentioned, you know, the two pillars of health is really diet and exercise, but I think that cellular health and, and really nurturing good cellular health is the third pillar. And so that's why we believe that, you know, targeting improved mitochondrial health can have bigger impact down the road, you know, and even delay some of the, you know, comorbidities that happen with aging and improve our health span so you're in your 80s and very mobile and you can play with your grandchildren
0: and i think that's so important it was interesting when i was pulling up statistics for our conversation 8.5 percent of the world's population is greater than 65 so i'm thinking about my parents generation and they have these age-associated comorbidities so the things that we think are normal that people have chronic pain people have poor sleep people have you know weight loss resistance diabetes metabolic poor health there's unfortunately there's this prevailing limiting belief that these are just a normal byproduct of aging and yet they don't need to be
1: you know I fully agree and, and trained as a physician they're not teaching good nutrition in medical schools or or other you know, healthcare practitioner training, right? And this is a lesson I learned after my medical school that nutrition has such a key role in everything we do. Our gut microbiome is absolutely the foundation of good health uh, and linked to inflammation, linked to poor mitochondrial health and poor even nutrient absorption. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, that mitoc- improving mitochondrial health can have really impactful changes in our life.
0: And what do you think are some of the biggest confounding variables or the biggest contributors to accelerating the aging process in a traditional kind of Westernized society? What are the things that stand out to you that are of greatest concern?
1: Well, our diet are, is definitely number one. We are all not nourishing our gut microbiome health. We're not all eating a lot of fruits and vegetables and we'll get into it, but we've looked into the gut microbiome of different populations, the French, the Canadians, the Americans, and the gut microbiome of I would say, is the richest in places where Mediterranean diet is followed as a practice, right? In in the US and Canadian uh, sort of healthy adult population, the gut microbiome is not very rich, not very diverse. So I think that's the central tenet. And then inflammation is another one. We see a lot of healthy adults who are, you know, let's just say not symptomatic of a disease, but if you just take a little blood and look at their blood levels of something like C-reactive protein, they are super inflamed. And being overweight is another, inactivity is the second we touched upon that. And those really boil down to this accelerated aging, which we are seeing even earlier now today in you know, the 50s and 60s. And as you said, the population is growing older and older. And so there will be a point where we'll start to think about how can nutritional interventions delay some of the health economic impact.
0: Well, and it's interesting. So for context, my entire background as an NP up until seven years ago was cardiology. So I got to see more often than not people who had already gone on to develop chronic inflammatory vascular disease. And I would sometimes try to find an angle with patients to convince them that the lifestyle piece was equally as important as taking their medication. And occasionally I would have someone that would say to me, Cynthia, I'm not going to sleep more I'm not going to stop smoking. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to change my diet. Just give me the pill and let me go on my merry way. And I really think that on so many different levels, we've done patients such a tremendous disservice. I think about the pharmaceutical industry that spends millions and billions of dollars a year trying to market to consumers instead of saying, hey, instead of taking additional diabetes medication, what you really would benefit from is eating less often, moving your body and eating less processed foods. It really is that simple, but we make it more complicated than it needs to be.
1: No, 200% totally agree. I mean, if all uh, cardiologists or even geriatricians or even just your family doctor is telling you to, you know, eat, practice a bit of intermittent fasting, do your eight, 10,000 steps a day, that already just those two things has a massive, massive healthcare impact. But of course, there's no incentive to our healthcare systems to do that and I train as a medical doctor where I can see you see a few patients a day and you build you know the wider uh, sort of uh, for the etiology and the symptomatology but you're not thinking you know at a big picture what and that's one of the reasons why I got into research actually was whatever I'm working on should impact hundreds and thousands of people eventually and that's uh, yeah Exercise and diet is not the easiest to comply with. I think that's probably the number one problem with these interventions, right? To tell an older adult to do three days of 30-minute walk is easy to say, but not the easiest to comply with long-term.
0: One of the most common concerns I see in perimenopause and menopause is hair loss, hair breakage, hair shedding. And knowing that over 80 million Americans are impacted by this is both reassuring, but it's wonderful to know that there are products available that can help with these symptoms. Divi is good for those with hair shedding or thinning due to stress in perimenopause or menopause. They can be helpful for addressing dry scalp and have you wanted to take control of your hair health but aren't sure where to start. This is where a Divi can be hugely impactful. I love their scalp serum and we know that the scalp serum improves the appearance of breakage, nourishes our hair follicles and removes product and oil buildup. There are some key ingredients including tea tree oil, which works to reduce and prevent excess oil buildup on the scalp, amino acids that help to strengthen hair, fight frizz, which is my greatest concern, and reduce breakage, and copper tripeptide one, which is a small protein composed of the three amino acids to facilitate a clean and hydrated scalp, as well as hyaluronic acid, which is nourishing and hydrating to our scalps. As I mentioned, Divi is not just for those experiencing hair loss, I found it to be hugely helpful for scalp health and all of Divi's products, including their shampoos and conditioners, come together to create a full daily solution that helps women nourish their hair and get to the root of scalp health. Do you want to take back control of your hair and scalp health and do it with clean, science-backed ingredients? Go to divi-official.com/cynthia or enter cynthia at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's d-i-v-i official.com/cynthia for 20% off your first order. As I mentioned, my favorite product is the scalp serum. And now that we're in the deep throes of winter weather, it is so wonderfully nourishing and moisturizing. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep Right. And and for anyone that's listening, you know, lifestyle changes are not meant to be easy. If they were easy, everyone would do them. And sometimes it can be as simple as you stated, you know, taking a walk after dinner, 10 or 15 minutes, we know it can help with uh, insulin sensitivity and reduction in blood sugar and glucose, but yet you know, we've kind of, and maybe the pandemic—I know for sure—has contributed to this. Sure. But I think on a lot of levels, we've gotten so conditioned to be very hedonistic. We want everything right away. We want to lose weight instantaneously. We don't want to do the work. And I think a lot of that is human nature. And and things are so easy now. Like I think of the example: I have teenagers, and unbeknownst to my husband and I, during the midst of the pandemic when we weren't really going anywhere, they were they were doing Uber Eats at night when we went to bed and things are just too easy. It's easy to get access to foods we probably shouldn't be eating. It's easy to get access to binge on Netflix. It is much easier to sit at home or sit all day long than it is to move around. But I think for so many people, once they make those lifestyle changes, they feel so much better. It just reinforces the good behavior. So it's finding one thing you can do a little differently every day to contribute to health and longevity. Now, when we talk about... Proactively impacting mitochondrial dysfunction. You mentioned fasting, but what are some of the other kind of lifestyle pieces? Maybe things we haven't talked about in terms of hormetic stressors that can be of benefit to the mitochondria that can, you know, make them make our mitochondria more resilient.
1: Well, I think the top five would, of course, starting in the order would be diet. If you're all eating a good antioxidant-rich diet, a good, you know, we call those polyphenols. As these are complex nutrients that are in our diet if you're eating a lot of berries and and nuts that are known to be you know have antioxidant effects those are good for your mitochondria mitochondria do accumulate what is we call as a lot of oxidative stress so they, they think of them like you know turbines or tesla batteries that are working all the time in the background and they get damaged and so that's part of the problem that if you're not feeding the right nutrients to these mitochondria to the cells And and then less stress. You know, we we all talk about the blue zones where people live till 100, 120. They really have three or four things that they're they're getting a lot of sunshine. So probably vitamin D is the key. Uh, They're they're moving around uh, a lot because, yeah, in these islands, Japan or Costa Rica, the five zones, um, and certainly physical activity levels is not a problem. They are eating fresh, you know, as they say, farm to the table kind of food. And less stress and sleeping better. Those are things that circadian rhythm has a big impact on your mitochondria. And then I believe that the fifth is really sort of these, uh, where the research is headed, is really these advanced nutrients uh, that have an impact on mitochondrial health. So together, some of these four or five exercise and diet are obviously the two key ones.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, those advanced nutrients that you're kind of alluding to are things like NAD and NR and urolithin A. And uh-huh. maybe it'd be helpful to kind of differentiate how these three advanced nutrients are different from one another. Because I think there's... A lot of misinformation, especially about NAD and NR, in particular on the web, you know, in the blogosphere in on social media, but may be helpful to kind of differentiate how they are different from one another and how they benefit us too in terms of repletion.
1: Yeah. And I think for that, I think a very simplistic view of a mitochondria's life cycle is needed there, right? A young, healthy mitochondria is producing the currency of energy, which is what we call it, is ATP all the time in the background. And so more mitochondria, so things like muscle and neuron cells have thousands of mitochondria. And and as they're young and healthy, they also will in parallel accumulate damage what we call as oxidative stress or free radicals. And and they start, uh, their their architecture starts changing. And we have looked at old people's uh, mitochondria and they think it's really like electrical wires and they just start sagging inside the mitochondria. And what happens is some of the faulty ones then are sort of, you know, labeled or tagged to say, these are the faulty ones and your body needs to recycle them. And that's what slows down with aging. And so what happens is basically, instead of always having a good pool of healthy and unhealthy mitochondria, your cells shift towards a bigger pool of unhealthy mitochondria. And so typically what things like NAD modulation or things like NR and uh, are targeting is basically a boost in NAD production, which will then lead to more near healthy mitochondria. So, you know, putting that in picture of a mitochondrial life cycle. There are other nutrients like CoQ10 and creatinine, et cetera, that are also targeting. They take a healthy mitochondria and make it produce more energy. So now you have more energy efficiency. But what has never been taught, you know, only intermittent fasting or regular exercise was known to activate this process that is called mitophagy. And and mitophagy is the final end of this mitosis mitochondrial life cycle and if you're not cleaning out the waste and all these faulty uh, mitochondria accumulating in the garbage disposal bin then, then your cells don't look right and that's what happens is basically with all our aging cells and, and so where we have spent good part of 10 15 years of research is figuring out how to activate mitophagy during the aging process that can then clean out the waste and result in more healthy neuro- you know mitochondria that can then you can use NAD supplementation on top. So that's how we approach mitochondrial uh, health improvement.
0: I think that's probably one of the best, most concise explanations that I've heard yet. So thank you so much for that. I think it makes the science accessible to listeners and they're very familiar with the concept of autophagy. And so mitophagy mm-hmm. is talking about this specific to the mitochondria, the waste and recycling process of disease, disordered organelles that we're getting rid of. And so- I'd mentioned urolithin A, and so obviously this is something that I think is really exciting in terms of not just as an advanced nutrient, but potentially what it has the ability to do within the body. So how does it work and how was it discovered?
1: Yeah, it was discovered uh, over 15 years of very hard uh, sort of biotech approach to nutrition. You know, when when we started uh, here at Timeline, um, the, the whole concept was to bring the biotic approach to nutrition, so really understand how some of these nutrients in our diet were impacting cellular and, and you know biological hallmarks of health. And a lot of times in nutrition, everybody was blending you know nutrients and probiotics and prebiotics and starting to selling, you know, as multi sort of pronged approaches. So we said let's change that. So we started with uh, a sort of a high throughput approach where we took thousands of look at you know compounds and our everyday fruits and nuts. So we started deconstructing the pomegranate, for example. Uh, now, pomegranate has about 500 plus bioactive compounds in it. And we narrowed it down to a group of polyphenolic compounds, much like antioxidants that are called punicalagins or elegitanins. And, and these are just not in pomegranates. These are in your pecans and walnuts. These are in your raspberries and other red berries. And for long, there have been studies in pomegranate juice and berries and walnuts having you know these great health benefits similar to Mediterranean diet. So we started looking at them and we found that you know independently a lot of these bioactives were not having an effect and then we started looking at the gut microbiome transformation, which is needed to take these complex polyphenolic uh, bioactives and break it down into simpler what we call postbiotic molecules. and so that led us to the lyinss, which are one of the most prominent and produced uh, byproducts from the gut microbiome is urolitin A. And we found that this had some remarkable effects. And a lot of this research was done uh, with the Swiss Institute of Technology, where we are based here, and basically showing these remarkable effects in muscle endurance and energy production that led us to the whole journey.
0: It's really exciting because, you know, I think listeners are familiar with prebiotics and probiotics. But a postbiotic is probably terminology that they are less familiarized with. And sure. how do you find the differentiation in terms of looking at each one of these? And how does a postbiotic differentiate from a pre and probiotic?
1: Yeah. So the, the simplistic, if I can break it down, prebiotic is food for your gut microbiome. Basically, it's the sort of the, you know, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner that you need to give it to your gut microbiome. The probiotics are things that you would like to, you know, see it as a, you know, part of your gut microbiome ecosystem. So you want more healthier bacteria in your gut microbiome. uh, And postbiotic is basically, you know, the end product, the sort of after from the foods and nutrients we are eating, what the probiotics are harnessing and releasing, which are beneficial to us as the human host is what is postbiotic. So these are bioactive molecules that have, immense benefits for us who are hosting the gut microbiome.
0: And it's my understanding that these help to stimulate mitophagy. So this is kind of the you know big picture is these postbiotics are helping to stimulate mitophagy, autophagy, getting rid of these diseased sure. disordered cells.
1: Yeah. So there are a number of postbiotics uh, typically certain in vitamin B uh, or vitamin K is a postbiotic because you require uh, your gut bacteria. Now, I don't think all postbiotics will stimulate autophagy or mitophagy. I think certain, there are things like short chain fatty acids, right? Butyrate, propionate, um, they are known to have big impacts on, on uh, cellular metabolism. Now, Uralitin A is a postbiotic. And what we found was that it was triggering this very specific form of uh, autophagy that I had described previously called, which is specific to mitochondria called mitophagy.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. And so In terms of your research and how you've been looking at urolithin a how did Mitopure come about through that process? Because I'm sure it was very exciting to realize Mm -hmm. that there was all the potential. And and how did Mitopure kind of come out of that that research?
1: Yeah. So urolithin a when we started out, had been described as being present as one of the byproducts that nobody had really paid attention to it. It was known to be in Iberian ham, uh, you know, because they were eating a lot of acorns and things like this. But when we took a closer look, we started, uh, you know, in aging has always been our focus, or uh, the timeline has always been a longevity-focused company. So we started uh, in worms. Now, these are the first species you would do uh, your first experiments with to really tease out what is the key nutrient out there. And so, compared to let's say ellagitannins or or even other nutrients. A, or as we have trademarked, it, mitopure, was shown to have about a 40 to 50% increase in lifespan in these worms. And that sort of was the Eureka moment that led us to take it even forward to older experimental models, uh, where we would give it in the daily diet of of older rodents, and we would start seeing them, you know, being 60% more endurant and having about 10, 15% better muscle strength. That led to the whole journey of multiple randomized trials. So we started out actually with two key studies, which I think are absolutely key to how nutrition field needs to do research. First, we actually went and asked the question, can we measure mitochondrial health during the aging process? And, and we were able to show that in 70-year-olds who were running marathons versus 70-year-olds who had you know, difficulty moving around, that if we took a look at their muscle, their mitochondria were, were very bad in, the, in the, those we call as frail people versus those who were running marathons. And then we took a look at the gut microbiome of people and how many could produce it uh, naturally, this molecule urolitin and the answer was about 30% uh, people were making this molecule and not in enough levels to give you sort of uh, the health benefits associated. And that led us to developing a proprietary, uh, uh, almost 100% pure urolitin A that you could then directly supplement and raise the blood levels by about six, seven fold and do randomized trials where we saw in seventy-year-olds improved uh, endurance, in overweight fifty-year-olds we saw better strength, and now we're even running trials in elite athletes, uh, looking at things like muscle recovery. So it's been a process, and the research process just takes long, but you have to be patient to get the data.
0: Yeah, no, and it's a, it's a very exciting uh, process, I would imagine. Now for the benefit of listeners, they're familiar with the term sarcopenia. They understand that muscle Mm -hmm. loss with aging is a real thing. You also can lose strength. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps kind of walk us through the natural aging process if we're not working against it. And and Mm -hmm. this contributes to a lot of the chronic health problems that we see because muscle is so critically important for insulin sensitivity and metabolic health.
1: Yeah, muscle is one of the most key longevity organs, as I always say. You know, if you can move around uh, when you're 70, and 80, you really have cracked the code of, of aging well. So what happens after? So we we all peak our muscle mass and strength about a third decade of life, and as we age, with every decade you're losing 10%. And by your 70s, 80s, that's when all these issues with mobility and you mentioned uh, sarcopenia. So sarcopenia is basically the accelerated loss of muscle mass with aging and loss of muscle strength with aging. And nobody's really cracked it. There's not yet a a single pharmacological intervention approved for sarcopenia. Exercise is probably the only and nutritional supplementation with high protein, high amount of 10 grams plus is probably another uh, well-studied. And frailty is similar. It's it's a similar syndrome as sarcopenia, except that it comes with underlying inflammation uh, as well. So problem is you if you wait too long you're on the wrong end of the trajectory and where we believe we could act is that if people started early you know in their 40s targeting improvement in their cellular health that could maintain their muscle mass and strength you know trajectory where in your 70s and 80s you're looking almost like your 40s and 50s then you would basically have the normal healthy health span that you're supposed to have and that's what we think we have cracked now
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. You know, for those of us that are clinicians, we probably have seen these patients over and over again in the hospital, but people that were my own age who couldn't get off a bedside commode, or, you know, they would end up being in bed for two, three weeks and they had lost so much muscle mass that then were two weeks. So you talk about that frailty and the inflammation will accelerate the sarcopenia. And this is why I'm so outspoken and Dr. Gabrielle line is a good friend of mine. I know shared friend of both of ours. This is why I think it's so important for listeners to really understand that muscle is this organ of longevity. We need to preserve it. We need to maintain it. It is critically important for so many different things, but if, but nothing else, we want to remain physically active. That's why strength training is important. Those macros, as you kind of alluded to are so beneficial And so we know that, or at least based on what I was looking at in terms of clinical research, there's a lot of research about muscle health in relationship to urolithin A, which I think is really exciting for many people that are saying, you know, it's really hard for me to get to the gym and lift heavy multiple times a week. Maybe my protein intake isn't where it needs to be knowing that there's some degree of supplementation that can be beneficial. And there was a study, obviously I know you're familiar with it, that was in JAMA in January of 2022, Looking at supplementation on muscle endurance and mitochondrial health in older adults, mean age was 71, mostly white women, randomized to placebo or four months of supplementation. And the primary endpoint was a change from baseline in a walk distance and change from baseline to four months in maximal um, ATP production and hand skeletal muscle and really compelling Information. I mean, granted, the study was small, but oh. still, I, you know, when I was looking, kind of looking at current research that was ongoing, yeah. definitely something that's suggestive of why this might be of tremendous benefit for us, especially as we're getting older.
1: Yeah. So, you know, high protein is a great way, and exercise is a great way to, um, to boost muscle health. But I think the paradigm that we have been trying to change is there's been a lot of focus on muscle mass, uh, and muscle mass is important but you have to also focus on muscle quality. And what I mean by muscle quality is really the energetics and the energy supply of the muscle. So now you have better muscle health, you have better muscle strength. Uh, And when you have both good muscle mass and strength, you're a winner. And so one of the first studies that, well, you were talking about the JAMA study, it's a study I was very close to. Um, We ran this at the University of Washington in the US, uh, also with Fred Hutch in partnership with Fred Hutch there. Now, the participants were about 70 to the oldest participant, and I remember talking there was an 89-year-old lady. Uh, these were folks who are like our parents, perhaps, uh, who have fatigue issues, who are healthy, you know, they're going about their daily activities, but at the end of the day, they would like to, you know, be, have a little extra 10, 20% more so they can, you know, play with their grandchildren or go about and socialize with their, their friends, and when we did this trial, the number one feedback, and this is the 89-year-old lady who told me, and this is a blinded study, so we didn't at that point know, she's like, my gardening has just got, my recovery after gardening has just got so much better. I don't feel <laughs> sore. And she was like, I swear I'm on the right product and not the placebo. And we didn't know. And when we finished the trial about six months after, she was right. She knew she was actually on the active product. And so I think what we saw in this trial was that people just had that extra 20% more energetics. And that's the key word that I've been trying to tell most clinicians, that it's just not boosting muscle mass. You have to improve the bioenergetics of the muscle. And if you get both uh, together, if you're eating a lot of good protein, and then you improve your mitochondria, you're really going to have a winning strategy in practice.
0: And I think it's really important for people to know that and to be selective about what they choose to supplement with. I, I think that we are we as consumers are really overwhelmed with choices mm-hmm. and helping you know my listeners or my patients or clients understand that you know the quality of of these things is certainly very important. Have you seen any negative side effects from supplementation, anything that you I didn't see anything in the literature, So I thought I would just ask,
1: yeah. So you know, Today, this is uh, there. We have about 15,000 consumers on the timeline product. uh, Seemed very safe. We have done a randomized trial in at least 900 to 1,000 participants, older, young, even now middle aged. So, this is a natural molecule. That's the beauty of it. It's been around. uh, uh, as long as we've been eating fruits and nuts, evolutionary we've had it. We've of course uh, lost the capability. I have lost the capability because now we even have a test. We are now developing a test that can tell you if you your body is making it or not. And probably I took a lot of antibiotics growing up, and my microbiome never recovered. So a lot of us have lost it, right? But we always were supposed to make this molecule naturally, and, and it was supposed to be safe. And, and what we are doing basically now is we've found a way to short circuit the natural process the in a little bit of inefficient process and directly supplement with the molecule urolithin A. So it's very yeah. safe.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine, and, and this is the perfect tie-in to the gut microbiome, because inevitably people will say, well, if urolithin A is contained in food, can I just get it from food? And what would your response be to that?
1: so it's not in the foods it's derived from uh, let's say precursors fr- present in foods so the, these polyphenols uh, that i was talking about in pomegranates or walnuts or pecans uh, if you're eating a lot of uh, these uh, fruits and nuts in parallel if you're also taking a lot of fiber and eating a good diet the chances are that you probably have a good microbiome that is probably has a chance to make it uh, now, we have done studies where we have given a glass of pomegranate juice, pure pomegranate juice, and we see only about 30%, 40% people make it. And even in that population, you get a lot of variability and not everybody's going to squeeze four pomegranates into a juice and have all that high glucose uh, sugar coming anyway with it. Uh, so yeah, there are folks who, who make it and they make it at decent levels. And there's probably going to be downstream research where we're going to see if some of these people who are naturally making it perhaps have longer health spans and longer longevity, uh, much like all the other key nutrients that we know of. Um, So, yeah.
0: Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered... Yeah, it's really interesting. We certainly have had a lot of experts talking about the gut microbiome on this podcast. And admittedly, when I was in school, which seems like 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, the gut microbiome was not a thing, but now we're starting to acknowledge the net impact of our lifestyle on the health of our gut microbiome and why antibiotics, there may be in fact instances where we need them, but we want to limit the use of antibiotics knowing that it can kill off beneficial bacteria. What are some of the other things about our modern day lifestyles that can impact the health of our gut microbiome?
1: Well, in activity, we know the gut microbiome is in many ways an organ in itself now, and that's how people are approaching it. It changes from your infancy to your, you know, teenage years, to your adulthood, and then stabilizes in your adult years, and then again, starts changing as we grow old. And so gut dysbiosis is now one of the new hallmarks of aging. In addition to, you know, some of the new hallmarks of aging, there were nine, now there are 12. And so mitophagy was added, and inflammation, chronic inflammation was added, and gut microbiome dysbiosis was added. And so I think in the last 10 years, the field of gut microbiome has just exploded, uh, we still don't know the right techniques to look at it, I believe, and we're still scratching the surface of it. But if people are eating right, then they have no, you know, as I mentioned, my own example, growing up in India, taking a lot of uh, early life antibiotics. I think I eat rice today, but, you know, it was set in stone probably early on uh, with the antibiotic use. And I do have, you know, you could have issues with gut microbiome dysbiosis such as irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel diseases is pretty well documented. But now even the gut-brain axis is coming up that a lot of diseases of the brain, like Parkinson's disease, actually start in the gut, which is thought 20 years back you would have laughed at. But now that's where the research is coming
0: in. Well, and it's always interesting, you know, know better, do better. And certainly, you know, this is a product for full transparency that I've been using for a long time and really enjoy the powders in my yeah. daily smoothie that I consume, which allows me to take in supplements that I otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to consume. And so what is your practice? Are you do you use the oral supplement? Do you use the powders? What are you using day to day?
1: Yeah, so I tend to have a preference of popping pills. Uh, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, again, that's maybe my bias as a trained physician uh, early on. Uh, um, and, and a lot of our trials were actually initially done uh, for compliance reason. It's easier to tell people to pop, you know, two pills. So each pill is about 250 milligrams of of Eurotin A. So if you take two, you meet your 500 milligram sort of targeted dose that we are seeing all these great effects uh, on muscle and mitochondria. Uh, powders are great and they blend in with lifestyles if you get bored with sort of the taking pills every day uh, it's just when you travel or when you don't have a yogurt or you ran out of the you know the muesli to put your powder that's where i feel so my preference is a bit on the pill side i do take a bit higher dose uh, of a gram because you know the evidence we are seeing at the higher doses you start to also get anti-inflammatory effects associated with this molecule such as tampered or lower CRP levels, uh, your CRP levels start going down and you're less inflamed. And so I run a lot. So I try to take a bit higher dose and I take it in the morning because after overnight fasting, probably your autophagy is already hitting the wheels. And so if you supplement on top, it's probably going to be even more...
0: No, that's really helpful. And I think for the benefit of listeners that may not be familiarized with your product right now, you can use it in things like I've done protein balls, I've done smoothies. In fact, if you purchase the products, you get a really nice, essentially like a recipe book. So it gives you a lot of creativity and I'm always tinkering with recipes, but I like it in my smoothie because that's usually how I will break my fast, tail end of my fasting window. And so before we kind of wrap up, when we're talking about, you know, the clinical research, you mentioned a great deal about muscle health. Mm-hmm. What are other areas of health that are investing that you're seeing the benefits from MitoPure beyond the muscle yeah. health piece and reduction in inflammation?
1: Sure. Yeah. So when we started out about 10 years back into, into the clinic uh, realm, you know, as a small focus company, we had to take one focus direction that was muscle health. And since we published our first publications, a lot of other top scientists and clinicians around the world have started looking at it from a different angle. So we have uh, basically three top groups who have looked at its effects on neuronal health, so brain health, and how it impacts uh, even cognitive decline or co- you know brain aging. And they've found spectacular data. So there's a group in uh, the National Institute of Aging that published a few years back, really the author- one of the top authorities in the field that – even out of like a whole library of thousand natural compounds and even drugs uh, compared to urolitin A, mitopure was having very potent effects on how, you know, as you age in your neurons, you accumulate a lot of protein deposits and, and that sets off this whole process uh, of neurodegeneration. So he was having this sort of unclogging the, you know, the, the clogged uh, neuronal cells. And of course that leads to neuroinflammation and so it was having effects on neuroinflammation. We have now moved also our research a lot into immune metabolism. So for your listeners, this is a field which is now starting to see how key a old mitochondria have in immune health and immune function. And what that means is that, for example, a recovering cancer patient who, after a chemo radio, they basically have no immune system left because you know, chemo radio knocks off the good uh, healthy cells as well. And so how fast with your receding of the mitochondria can you get immune function at, you know, the top level uh, so they can fight off infections and things like this. So this is one of our areas of focus areas of re- research is really immune health and how you we use mitochondrial improving mit- mitophagy and mitochondrial health to improve immune health. And the other is uh, we are starting to look at how can we deliver uh, MitoPure, just not orally, but topically also? A lot of folks ask me, well, how do you measure mitochondrial fat? Fe- uh, how do I feel that your product is working? And, and that led us to the road of, you know, people, what do people see first as you age? It's really visual aging signs, right? So, and then you bypass all the oral um, sort of uptake and absorption issues by just giving in the topical uh, delivery. And so we, that's the line we are pursuing is skin aging and how topicals some formulations of MitoPure can have a big impact on aging.
0: That's really exciting. And and for the benefit of my listeners, because most of my listeners are middle-aged women. So 35, 45, 55, 65 and beyond. And for so many of us, as we go through perimenopause into menopause and women are, if they're not taking HRT, they've lost predominant estradiol is now made weaker in weaker formulations in estrone and fat tissue. And so the degree of immune impact of this loss of estrogen is pretty profound. And and actually very humbly, the more as, as I kind of navigate these changes in my own body, the changes that I'm seeing, I think if anyone's listening and they're, and they're trying to, to kind of you know, think of other ways that MitoPure can be of benefit. It's with the understanding that with this loss of estrogen signaling, as we're transitioning into menopause, we're increasing inflammation. And what many don't realize is that estradiol has a potent uh, net impact on immune function in the body significantly so in the gut microbiome and and as i stated before as i humbly learn these things i like to share them so yet another reason if we tie in women in particular and the changes that are going on hormonally with age that loss of insulin sensitivity less metabolic health if they're not being conscientious also can impact us on an immune level as well so i love that you're doing research in this area too
1: yeah yeah sure no happy to share new data as it comes out and with your audience and Yeah. As I mentioned, we are also developing this test. If anybody is up for trying uh, our beta version of this test, where they can test if the body is making uralitin or not, we can offer that as well.
0: Yeah. I would love to hear more about that. Well, Dr. Singh, I want to be respectful of your time. Please let listeners know how to connect with you. Obviously, MitoPure is a podcast sponsor. So we'll make sure that all those links are included. What's the easiest way to connect with you and your team to your research to MitoPure to connect with you online?
1: Yeah. So they, they, of course, if they want to learn more about the scientific discoveries and the products, they can go to timeline nutrition.com. Uh, we've also uh, have a sort of a education website called mitopure.com and they can go to that and learn about all the published literature and all the upcoming new science.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today. This will be an invaluable resource for listeners.
1: Thanks for having me, Cynthia.
0: If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend.